Welcome to the podcast, Life Lessons from Travels Off the Beaten Path. Hi, my name is Justine Murray, and I'm also known as Lighter Step Justine, as we strive to step lightly across the earth and only leave footprints. This podcast is about the life lessons I've learned as a traveler, particularly when I decided to step off the beaten path. Mostly this occurred in the non-digital era when there was no internet or mobile phones. My sometimes bizarre and always unforgettable adventures around the globe, often as a solo woman traveller, gave me great insight into living a fulfilled life, blessed with all my senses, to enjoy the wonders the world has to offer. From wildlife encounters, to midnight crashes, to dodging stalkers and trekking with tribes, to travelling with a child and around work commitments. I will entertain you with my stories and what each adventure has taught me, along with some general travel and life wisdom along the way. I also will be bringing in other travellers who can captivate us with their own travel stories and the life lessons they have learned. So tune in to me each week and let's get entertained with travel. So we left the last episode where we spent some time in the Masai Mara a few days uh, and uh, I was with the some of the group from the overland truck and then they had to leave and go back to the overland truck and uh and suddenly then i was on my own and the reason why i didn't continue with them if you had not heard any of my previous episodes is because when i had joined the overland truck i had paid two thousand pound back in europe to a company that decided to go bust the day uh, the, the time I'd paid the money. So they put me onto a, another company, uh, but they didn't pay the money over. So basically I was sitting on there for free and there was like, according to them, and there was five of us that did that. But over the course of the trip through West Africa, we lost every single one except for, well, they or they left, uh, except for me. And then the truck crashed in Central Africa and the company owner had lost a lot of money through that so he basically said to me when we caught up in Zaire he said well the only way you can continue on to Harare is you have to pay the £2,000 again and otherwise he'll drop me off in East Africa and I'm on my own. Now I was not going to do that because A I didn't have the £2,000 and B I'd already paid for it and so I wasn't going to do it and, and I was lucky now I was back in East Africa where uh, you could get by with English. So I waved goodbye to my friends and suddenly I was on my own. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, it was the short rains. And so in Nairobi, often you have these really heavy down pours and the drainage wasn't very good. So often the streets would be flooded and there was often quite a lot of rubbish and um, all sorts of things, you know, dirty water on the streets. Now, if you remember, I had cut my toe about a month previously in Uganda quite deeply and I'd gone through a lot of water uh, and now all of a sudden I was again in Nairobi and I was put, I had no choice but to put my foot in some of this dirty water that was on the streets. And so I went to Nairobi Hospital to have my foot locked out my toe and they bandaged it up. It was too late to stitch, but luckily, um, it was um, it was okay, and they bandaged it up, and and 
yeah, I think gave me a, a course of antibiotics and a needle and uh, and Bob's your uncle. Um, so that made me a lot happier in my mind that I hadn't picked up any crazy diseases or parasites with the cut on my foot. Uh, I originally stayed in Nairobi. I stayed at at Ma's place, which was basically a, a just a normal house with, a, with an old lady running it. And she had rooms she had changed into dormitories and you could also camp out in the backyard and you could leave things there. And it was a fairly um, popular place for a lot of backpackers. So I stayed there for a little while, but I knew I was running out of money. I had to go and find some work. I couldn't work in hospitality because of the... Um, uh, because I wasn't allowed to work and I couldn't even speak the, the local languages or even Swahili. So the next big thing was horses. And because Kenya was a former English colony and there was a lot of expatriates still living and residents, English residents in Kenya, I thought there's a good chance there'd be horses there. Uh, and one of the first things I did when I was in Nairobi is I went to the Karen Blixen Museum, the, the out of Africa lady, uh, and it was at, it's at a suburb called Karen, which was named after her, and it, it was beautiful, beautiful gardens, beautiful house, but I realised that I might have a chance out there because there are houses with huge, big estates uh, with great big fences and there could be a chance they had horses. So I wrote a, um, a notice asking, looking for work. I didn't have a mobile, the mobiles didn't exist then. I didn't have an email, email didn't exist then. So all I had was them to ring Ma's place and somehow leave a message for me. And so I caught one of the local buses, it's called Matatus, little small mini buses, and went back out to Karen and I just was, Getting driven along, and I was looking out the window, looking for hoof prints out the window, and sure enough, I came across uh, some areas beside the road where I could distinctly see hoof prints. So I got off at the next uh, at a place where I saw a shop, and I asked if I could put my sign up in the shop, so which they allowed me to do, uh, and then I went back to Mars Place, and. Actually, not very long afterwards, I got a phone call and a message saying that would I like to come out to um, he, here's a phone number to ring. So I rang this lady up and uh, and she asked would I like to come out and ride a couple of horses and they're actually going to a uh, a horse event, an eventing event, three day eventing thing. But um, would I like to come out on the weekend with them? So I jumped at the chance. So I went off with these Kenyans on this uh, weekend of eventing. And while I was there, she introduced me to a few people. And <laughs> if you understand anything about the horse industry, it's a bit snobbish. And people, you know, it's with horses, you, you have money. And so most of the people come very well presented with you know, nice jodhpurs and tall boots or chaps and a, a tailored shirt or polo and, uh, yeah, a, a very slim build and 
just a perfectionist, you know, hardly any hair out of place. I was the exact opposite. I didn't have any riding clothes, so I just had on, um, you know, some uh, cargo type pants. Actually, I don't even think cargo pants existed then either. It was just just some trousers, and I had, um, you know, just normal shoes and. Yeah, and here I was trying to sell myself as a trainer. Uh, and so the lady that had asked help me, she felt a bit sorry for me. So um, she got me to ride a couple of her horses and um, and convinced the lady that lived on the other side of Nairobi in Kiambu, I think, to, uh, to give me a trial with her horses as well. So I rode the two at this lady's place and then I when I got back then the next day I went over to Kiambu and I rode at the lady's place with them she had a couple of ponies and so I rode them and it was interesting because they they were quite skeptical of me but when they saw me ride they changed their mind the next thing they were ringing people up and and talking to people and suddenly I started get getting work everywhere. So I started uh, riding there and because I couldn't stay at Mars the whole time, they actually began to stay at the people I was riding place. They gave me a room. And so I was, um, you know, I spent half my time staying at Karen and the other half of the week at Kiambu. And I was riding some horses at Karen at Kiambu and then also at a place up in um, where they grow tea up on the hills of Nairobi and there's also a riding centre in the middle of Nairobi which I was helping there giving lessons and so I did that for six months uh, you're allowed to stay up to six months in Kenya and I I did that uh, and I had a wonderful time and I had so many adventures around my um, my horse riding that was keeping me alive with, with being able to pay and also I was able to save money again there. So that's the story of how I got a job in Nairobi in Kenya by just... <laughs> Going, going around and looking for hoof prints outside a window and then using my initiative and um, perseverance and finding, finding the job. And then again, the interesting thing was the, how looks are not everything. So never worry about what you look like or your image because when I was in Kenya and when I was going for these jobs, obviously my image I was portraying, because I didn't, I was I've been traveling through Africa, I didn't have any horse gear. Uh, so I was being judged. Immediately people saw me as to what sort of person I was as a horse rider. But it, and it wasn't until I actually got on the horses and showed what I could do that people's minds changed. I mean, it was really good that two ladies in Kenya gave me a chance even without 
looking uh, or without knowing how well I rode but saying, yeah, you can come out and ride. Um, so again, you don't have to fit in with the crowd and have the, the best of everything and, you know, the latest technology and the latest clothes, clothing fashions and the, the latest, like in the horse world, it's all gone to this matchy-matchy of, um, you know, your shirt matches the horse saddlecloth and then the horse bandages and the horse bonnet over his ears and, and everything matches with sparkly helmet and sparkly boots and it's gone a bit crazy and you know it, the expense behind it is surreal and I always used to be proud that Australia was one of those countries that you could own horses and ride horses without having money uh, which is not the case in many places uh, but it is slowly becoming that place where it's quite hard to do it and be competitive without having some money coming in. Uh, so I've always thought to myself, and I just and I prove it here, is where there's a will, there's a way. I need the job. I got a job within 24 hours in a foreign country with. Um, I had no phone, no email, no way of getting in, getting in contact, yet I managed to score myself a job. Uh, so it's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it and you want to get somewhere what you can achieve. So I hope you liked that the very first episode of the time I spent in Kenya of the six months uh, and just setting the scene really of how I, I managed to survive in Nairobi over those um, over that six month period. So next episode is actually another one of those um, uh, I'm up to episode 30 so it'll be an interview and I'm really excited to introduce another friend of mine uh, a unbelievable globe trotter she's been everywhere and uh, get some insights about her travels and what she's got out of them and um, some of her uh, words of wisdom so I hope you can also join me in that time thank you for listening like always, I want to leave you with a thought to consider. What is your environmental and cultural footprint when you travel? How are you showing up to the country and the culture you are showing up with to make a better interaction for all concerned? Leaving the environment as you found it? Reducing your impact on local resources and cultures to come out with such a positive outlook for both the local population and environment and yourself? Okay, please follow my podcast if you're enjoying what you are hearing and share it to others so they too may be inspired. I'll catch you next time.